0: Mitch Trubisky stinks. Welcome into the QB SCO show brought to you by, I jumped the gun a little bit, brought to you by Bleeding Green Nation and SB Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist, NFL, that's K-I-S-T. And as always, here to break down the opposing upcoming enemy quarterback and also probably some Carson Wentz talk is quarterback one in my heart, who I know is just chomping at the bit to do this specific show. He is Mark Schofield. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Mark, brother. We made it. How you doing?
1: We made it, man. First of all, folks, gentle listeners, you can probably just go home now <laughs> because Mr. Kiss just nailed it in the cold open right there. But I will say, Michael, it's great to be with you as always. And I know, look, this show's a big one. Nay, a huge one for the brand. So I'm going to try to keep today's historical reference a bit quick and tight. Now- Hold it up in my hands for those watching on news channel 8 a copy of Agincourt by Anne Curry, a woman we've mentioned before. Now, as you might expect, this book focuses on the 1415 Battle of Agincourt between the invading British forces led by Henry V and French forces. Now, this battle is perhaps the most famous of all the battles of the Hundred Years' War between England and France, but England's victory on that day, St. Crispin's Day, has become something of lore or even more. Of course, there is a poem that a 12-year-old John Lennon copied into a notebook when he was a young lad that has become famous, along with the drawings he put in that journal. and that poem that he quoted, Went down their bows they threw, and forth their bows drew, and on the French they flew. Not one was tardy. Arms were from shoulders sent, scalps to the teeth were rent, down the French peasants went. <laughs> the verse Lennon copied was from Michael Drayton's Ballad of Agincourt, dated 1606, and of course, there is the most famous of all, perhaps, of references to this battle from Shakespeare himself, Billy Shakes, in his play Henry V, in the invocation of a band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother, be he heir so vile. This day shall gentle his condition, and gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves accursed they were not here, and hold their manhoods cheap whilst any speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispin's Day. But lore and poetry aside, Michael, the main image that comes from that day of fighting is perhaps best presented in the Battle of the Bastards. Mm. The largely outnumbered English forces, mainly archers, were placed on each flank, their line curved forwards to form a squashed horseshoe shape designed to try and circle around the advancing French forces. The day was wet, the ground muddy, and the French forces were wearing heavier armor, as Currie notes in her book. The impact of the archers was thereby maximized. It was impossible for the French men-at-arms to train for such a situation. They simply had to keep moving forward. The arrow shower, all the more frightened for being intermittent, had the effect of slowing them down. Irrespective of of whether arrows could penetrate armor or not, some would be injured, many would fall. The flanking arrow shower also had the effect of funneling the French so they were pressed into a small space. Narratives tell us that they were so crushed together that they could not lift their weapons. They piled up and were easy pickings for the English. Archers could shoot from the rear at short range as well as pile in for the kill. Agincourt was a horrific battle where many French died from suffocation. The mud contributed to this. Once fallen, it was difficult to get up in such a press with the suction of the mud. Such circumstances explain why so many were killed and why it was also possible later to search the heaps of dead for prisoners. Henry had deliberately set his deployment in a way which trapped the French. Now, Michael, this imagery Uh of heaps of men (laughs) trapped in a pile, muddy, suffocating, caused to mind the Battle of the Bastards, the image of Jon Snow struggling for air at the top of one such heap. But Michael, does it not also call to mind watching the Chicago Bears offense at the end of the first half last week struggling for air and life? Uh-huh. Due to a problem of perhaps their own creation.
0: I was actually thinking that's that's a, that's a good correlation there. I was thinking like the pile of French and whatnot, like we're just people stuck in my mentions. Bears fans stuck <laughs> in my mentions,
1: stuck in your mentions, grasping for life on the timeline as they slowly felt it being just sucked away from them.
0: As I as I roll through my mentions from the summer, liking every single tweet. And just feeling the life just drawn out of these idiots that defended Mitchell Trubisky. Can
1: I Can I ask a question, Mike? Am I the English longbow? I'm sorry. Go I ahead. I think you are the English <laughs> longbow. How excited are you for this week? Like <laughs> just... scale of one to like pants have not been worn for a week.
0: I mean, I've got Josh Allen, who I was critical of in the summer. And didn't do anything against against the Eagles other than, you know, have a game-changing fumble. And then I've got Mitchell Trubisky the very next week, who Bears fans, and I didn't know that we would be in this spot at this point, at week eight. I just right. scrolled through Windy City Gridiron and just went through some of the headlines, and it's just gloom, doom, they have Centon bomb, the panic button. And Mark, I, I want to start this with a tweet. That kind of set all this off and kind of created this image of me as a Trubisky hater. In fact, you know, it's not a tweet. I'm going to call it a speech because I don't want to place an oversized value on sports opinions. But this speech by me is up there with Winston Churchill's We Shall Fight on the Beaches where he said, we shall never surrender. It's up there with Alexander the Great's speech at the Hydapses River where he said, I will make those who stay the envy of those who return. And Shane's speech from the season two mid-season finale of The Walking Dead, where he said, now if y'all want to live, if you want to survive, you got to fight for it. That speech by me says the following, quote, the Bears will never make a serious playoff run with Slumpy Mitch. Nagy is great, but doesn't have enough lipstick for that pig. Stop blaming the kicker. They picked the wrong quarterback, unquote. Now, every now and then I go back through and, and scroll through the mentions and click like on the people calling me a clown, People asking me if I get paid for this, people making ridiculous excuses for their abysmal quarterback because they need to be held to the same standard of accountability that they wanted me held to when they added old takes exposed. And look, that's a lie. I really don't care about that. I just like poking the adults that couldn't help but be upset. That I dare question the viability of their "quote unquote" Pro Bowl quarterback, which I think it was like the seventeenth alternate last year. But that's—I think you were picked before Mitch for the Pro Bowl. Yeah, I had to decline; yeah. I had work yeah. that day. But yeah. look, here's the facts: I was too high on Nagy. At least that's what it looks like for right now. I mean, he's trying to hold together an offense with Chinese newspaper clippings and apple cores because he knows that this quarterback cannot execute. And credit the guy, Nagy, for at least giving us one year where it might have looked like he was an unbelievable mastermind for carrying the dead weight to one and done as home favorites in the playoffs. Mark, I'm having trouble being over the top with this criticism of Trubisky because no matter how absurd it may sound, and I try to make it sound, it's tough to be hyperbolic about a quarterback that you can't even trust to the point last week – Against the Chargers, with no timeouts at the end of the first half, Nagy opted to run the ball once and spike as opposed to letting his quarterback throw twice from the one-yard line. It's hard to be over the top with a quarterback like Trubisky that takes the ball over at the four-yard line after his defense helps him out with an interception and, like clockwork, almost immediately throws an interception himself. I can't express how unfortunate it is that an organization set themselves back four years at least by training up for this quarterback while Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson were still on the board. How often do we need to see this Mitchell Trubisky outscored by his kicker? Whichever one it is they're using as the scapegoat for the week, that is. You want to know how garbage of a QB stat QB wins is? This quarterback went 11-3 and as a starter last year, a stat so wild That Matt Nagy won Coach of the Year. And to steal a phrase about the British infantry in World War I, this is a team of Lions led by a donkey. And that donkey is Mitch Trubisky. The Bears have put themselves in a miserable situation without the necessary draft capital to make a serious move for a top quarterback. This team simply is not a contender due to their offense, due to their decision at quarterback. And they're wasting a doggone good defense and roster because of it. Watch the Bears offense. Watch the anger emanating from every wide receiver, from their fan base, and tell me this is salvageable because that will be a hot take. Calling him Slumpy Mitch was not a hot take. Saying that this can be turned into a viable playoff contender is a hot take. Nagy's magnum opus was getting Trubisky to 11 wins in 14 starts last year. He earned that Coach of the Year award. And Mark, I'd nominate you for a Pulitzer for the nonsense that you had to put up with writing about him for PFW. I can't imagine trying to put a positive spin on his play. I'd rather be a lawyer. And Mark, I don't want an apology from the Chicago media like those at Windy City Gridiron, specifically Editor-in-Chief Lester A. Wilfong Jr. I don't. I don't want an apology from people from places like the Bears blog, specifically Jonathan Wood, because all I have to do is go to their timelines during a Bears game and their pain is enough for me. Their tears are sustenance. And Mark, one person I don't owe an apology to is you, because unlike some other people that shall remain nameless, you understand quarterback play and weren't there doggedly defending every dumb decision from a despicable excuse for a quarterback. But ultimately, this is where I see the Bears. And if you haven't experienced this specific thing, this may not work, but I have. And I can only imagine this is how the bears feels right now. If you've ever gone out too far into the ocean, you know what I mean. Because when the breakers start hitting and you're too far from the shore, you're kind of in that, that no man's land, right? You try swimming back to the shore and you get crushed by another breaker while the other choice is swim out further to dive under that next breaker. And if you keep doing that without any kind of break or luck, you can die. You might very well drown. And that's how I see the current and the immediate future situation for the Bears. They are too far from the shore, and they're taking massive hits one after the other. They are drowning, and it's all because of their quarterback, Mitch Trubisky, who for me, has been pennies from heaven this
1: season. What a joy. Mark. Did they give out like Nobel Prizes for podcasting? (laughs) Because the past seven minutes have been pure excellence. (laughs) And I feel like there is absolutely nothing that I can add to that because that was brilliant. I I think Mitchell Trubisky's entire arc can be summed up by the end of that first half. They have a first and goal at the one. And offensive wizard Matt Nagy, dials up an empty formation oh. where they go Y-ISO with Adam Shaheen to the left. They go quads to the right with their rookie running back, David Montgomery. And it's a disaster. Yeah, And it's a disaster because the best he can come up with is throwing a slant to a Y-ISO tight end to – is perhaps not it up to the expectations that many had for him. Mm-hmm. And on the quad side of the formation, where you would think you would at least show the ability to run a screen to that, where I don't know if Mitchell Trubisky can count because you have three <laughs> blockers yeah. for two defenders. Mm. The guys don't block because apparently that wasn't an option built into the play, which Watching it from afar seems like that might be an option you would want to have for your struggling quarterback to give him an easy smokescreen for a touchdown throw from the one-yard line. They can't even get that right. And then, like you say, they run it, they spike it, they settle for a field goal. When you could have taken control of this game, the inability of this offense and the mistrust they have in their quarterback, the lack of trust they have in their quarterback— has crippled this franchise. Oh. This is an organization that should have won or at least on paper could have won a Super Bowl last year. If they had even Blake Bortles effort and production from their quarterback They could have beaten many teams in the playoffs. They could have easily beaten the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl, but they couldn't even get out of their opening round playoff game because of the ineptitude of their quarterback and the fact that he didn't show up until late in the game. Uh. And many Bears fans have taken the soothing balm of he's a very clutch quarterback, and that's impressive if you want to make it so, but it belies the fact that he is often awful – for the first three and a half quarters of a game, and when he needs to be clutch, it's too little too late. Uh His adjusted net yards per attempt this season is ranked 30th in the league, (laughs) Uh 4.40. He's in front of only Baker Mayfield, Uh Ryan Fitzpatrick, Uh Sam Darnold, and Josh Rosen. He is behind players like Daniel Jones, Josh Allen, Kyle Allen, Joe Flacco, Marcus Mariota, Case Keenum. He's behind players that have been benched. He is behind Andy Dalton, who has been benched. And Andy Dalton has or was the poster child for the idea of quarterback purgatory, where you have a quarterback that is just good enough to be viable, but never good enough to advance your team where you want to go. And quarterback purgatory... It's like the breakers scenario you outlined. That is where the Bears find themselves. And they have a decision to make. And it seems that Matt Nagy is doing his best Tammy Wynette impersonation. He's sticking by his man. And that is going to cost this team the rest of this season. That is going to cost this team their future until they decide to move on. I will tell you. That every week from my editors of Pro Football Weekly, I would get the assignment of, you know, write about Mitchell, tell us what you're seeing, be honest. This week the assignment came in, give us the replacements. <laughs> give us the guys that can at least push Mitch for next year and beyond. The guys who could at least come in and if not push him, perhaps fully take the job from them. Well, look around the landscape. Maybe Marcus Mariota, their offensive coordinator, coached him at Oregon. Yeah. Okay, well... Can you do that? I, he might be an upgrade. Maybe Andy Dalton. Maybe Josh Rosen. now Maybe some of these names. Maybe a Teddy Bridgewater. If you can somehow pry him away from New Orleans, a city he seems to love and a city that definitely seems to love him back. Mm. But what's the other problem facing them? They don't have a first round pick. Right. They gave that up. They have two second round picks, 44 and 45, if the draft were to happen right now. What are you going to get with that? You're not getting up to the top of the draft board. You're not getting your hands on Tua. You're not getting your hands on Burrow. You're not getting your hands on Justin Herbert. So you're settling for the Jake Fromms of the world. And doubling down (laughs) on Jake Fromm after Mitchell Trubisky would be fun to watch. So Mm. Bears fans, it's your come to Jesus moment. You mentioned being a lawyer, Michael. Mm. Back in my days of practice in law, we had the come-to-Jesus conversations with clients all the time. Your case isn't shaping up the way you'd like. Things are stacked against you. The evidence isn't coming in. You need to sort of have your decision time now where you need to reevaluate your expectations of where things have headed for you. This is your come-to-Jesus moment, Bears fans. It's time to do the right thing.
0: And normally we would break down what the offense looks like and look, we're gonna have the Kist and Solak preview show where we look at the Bears offense against the Eagles the Eagles defense. None, none of this matters.
1: I will say, there's nothing to break down. <laughs> it's so this simple. is a team that has four <laughs> passing concepts. Yeah. Four. Correct. They will run all verts, usually out of a three by one. They love throwing the bender. Yep. They will love jello, which Eagles fans, you know and love. Jet all go with the seam out of the backfield. Last week they did it with Cohen aligned as a wing. Yep. They will run smash and they will run mirrored curl flat. Matt Nagy's contribution to improving the production and developing his quarterback has been to simply find different ways to run mirrored curl flat. Flat, different formations, different shifts, different alignments, different packages. But when you're talking about the best you can do to put lipstick on a pig is to run curl flat out of different looks, because that's all your quarterback can decipher and comprehend. You're a sinking ship. You're playing music on the Titanic. The iceberg has hit you hours ago, and it's time to give up. There's nothing to break down. Like you said, Mike, usually we're talking about all these route concepts and how to defend them. There's no point in doing that. None.
0: to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price, Priceline and we are back here on the QB Sco Show Michael Kiss talking with Mark Schofield this is of course brought to you by the fine folk at Bleeding Green Nation and SB Nation Mark, I don't know what, what more else we can say about Mitch Trubisky and we can move on like the Bears should, if you're ready to some Philadelphia Eagles talk with Carson Wentz, now Taking a look back at this game against the Bills, obviously crazy windy conditions, 25-mile-an-hour sustained winds with swirls in the stadium and gusts over 40 miles an hour. So a lot of things going on with that. You had two strong on quarterbacks in Wentz and Allen struggling to push the ball downfield. When Wentz had to, he was effective made some key conversions, also made some very key conversions with his legs. And I would argue his mind as well with the way that he was able to process the action happening in front of him and make the decision to tuck and run in good places. Uh, Overall, from Wentz, I don't know what you take away from this game other than the fact that the Eagles schemed this up really well for the limitations that they were going to face and the defense that they were going to face. The screen game was great, the quick game was great, the 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 variety in the run game and and the different looks that they had. The pony package with the 65 yard Miles Sanders touchdown run was nice. I I think this is more on coaching and a quarterback just being effective. And then every and then every now and then when he had to, you know taking over the game and making a decision and, and getting a key conversion. I think this is just a solid game from Wentz and an even better job from the coaching staff.
1: Yeah, I think those are all great points about this game, Michael. And I think it's important to sort of put into context this Bills defense because it is a very good defense. Yet, as somebody that has seen this Bills defense up close and personal over the past couple of years and seen what they are able to do to Tom Brady and the New England Patriots offense— No, to go into Buffalo like that and to get a win and to have some production against this defense in those conditions, I think is an impressive win for an Eagles team that needed an impressive win at this point in the season. I think the pony package was wonderful. I loved the action. On that 65-yard touchdown run, Kelsey getting up on the linebacker, Howard getting up on the other linebacker. You know the guards washing down the defensive tackles. You know, Mike, you and I were talking about Brooks and how impressive he has been. Uh I know today Doug Farrar over at USA Today Touchdown Wire released his most underrated players of the season so far, and he's got Brooks in there. Uh He has been fantastic to watch, and so you know the the offensive line did a fantastic job. I think there's one play that I did want to highlight oh. because it sort of gives us a chance to revisit some of the, st- the discussion we've been having over the past couple of weeks. And if you look at second and 10 in the second quarter at the 11-37 mark, second and 10 at the Eagles 44, Eagles run basically comebacks, dual runbacks to each side of the field against a single high cover three look. And if you watch Wentz on this play – It's very similar to the Haas conversation we've been having over the past couple of weeks. And he's going to throw this comeback route to the right along the boundary to Alshon Jeffrey, And just watch the timing, the rhythm, and the decisiveness on this throw for once. Because it's a perfect read. It's a perfect decision. He hits his drop in the pocket. Knows exactly where he's going with the football. Slight hitch, ball is out. There's not a second of hesitation. The throw is timed up perfectly with the route break from Alshon. Everything is as it should be. And again, we get a little bit of a spun safety look here from Buffalo. This is something that they do extremely well because right before the snap, you've got Pressure look. You've got one of the A-gaps mugged. You've got another linebacker down on the edge. It looks like it might be a two-man-under blitz type of package. And they spin it to this single high look right at the snap, which is something that Buffalo does so well. Mm -hmm. But Wentz reads it perfectly. He's decisive. The time it is much better. The placement is perfect. And it's an example of the quarterback being more comfortable with what he's seeing, trusting his eyes, trusting what's going on around him, and making the right read and throw. So when I saw that play, I thought, look – this is the Wentz that we've been seeing. This is the Wentz that, you know, we, we've seen at times. We got away from it the past couple of weeks, but we saw it here. Yeah, this is this is really nice because when you watch him from
0: the end zone angle, I really like watching what his eyes are doing here. because he Okay, so he gives the play fake to Howard. He is looking to his left. He's identifying what that safety is doing. And if that yep. safety is bailing to that deep zone, when he looks to his right, he should see another safety coming up. And that's what yep. he gets, and that's when he knows right there that he can hit that curl, and it's bo- it's in rhythm, it's out, and it is in a beautiful spot, like a way for yeah. the, the only person that can make a play on this ball is Alshon Jeffrey. And when you see when the ball comes out, Jeffrey has not yet like he's gearing up to throw. He's at the top and Jeffrey is just sinking into his break and, and pretty much like coming out of it here. And good job by, by Jeffrey there. You know, there, there was a little sloppy conditions. There was a lot of slipping and sliding on this field. So not only just the, the wind, but the field conditions also playing a role in this, but yeah, this is, this is a gorgeous throw. So this is one of the downfield throws that Wentz was asked to make. And when he was asked to make those throws, I felt he was really accurate with him because we saw some balls, especially early on. There was a third down. I I thought a ball kind of got caught up in the wind and whatnot. And there was some, I mean, you look at, you look at Josh Allen, what happened to his on his one, like deep shot. He kind of just threw it up and was like, well, let's hope the gods just take this like some sort of divine wind and just put it in place for me. And the swirl caught up with it or anything like that. So the downfield passing game was not an option but what the Eagles were able to do is just scheme up things beautifully. And when Wentz was asked to make a play, he made the play. And I and I thought the one that was really impressive from him, and we've talked about this on other shows as well, but the, the processing speed for him on that, that third down where he has the screen and he gets a guy right in his face, recognizing that this ball is going to get batted down. And this was a key drive for them, recognizing that this ball is probably going to get batted down. But number two, I have nowhere else to go. My offensive linemen are going to be downfield. The only option I have is to tuck and run, and then he follows his blockers like he's like he's a doggone running back. Just the 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 presence of mind that he had in that situation. He didn't freeze up. He fluidly transitions from
1: passer to runner, uh, just solid overall from him all day. You know, another throw that I liked was the downfield throw to Jeffrey, uh, mm. third quarter, first and 10 at the 930 mark, because like you said, it was one of the few downfield shots that they actually took. Oh yeah. But I love the subtle pump fake here, because, you know, again, you've got some conditions. It's a little bit sloppy. And you'll see from Wentz when he comes out again of the fake, it's not a full on pump. It's just this little sort of shoulder shrug. It's a subtle little move. But if you watch the corner, it's over Jeffrey. He's staring at Wentz. He's reading his eyes. And that little bit is all it takes. The corner takes one hard step in with that right leg, thinking he's going to be jumping the hitch route. And Jeffrey is gone. And when you see Wentz, he knows it. So he comes right out of the fake, hitches and throws on the spot. And the other thing that happens on this play is, again, you get this sort of single high look. And Wentz is able to get this out quickly enough to prevent that free safety from rotating over and making a play on it. So even though it's windy, it's swirly, there's enough velocity, there's there's enough rotation on that throw so it doesn't get hung up. That was beautiful, again, from snap to execution from Carson
0: Wentz. Yeah, we need to see more of that. And and this was really encouraging from Wentz from a perspective where we were looking at him last week going, this guy is pressing. A lot. And the week yeah. before, we said, what does it look like if Carson Wentz start to, starts to press? And it was exactly what we got against the Dallas Cowboys and it held on to the ball a long time. I think it was the second longest time to throw that week. It was the longest time to throw that he had in his career as I, as I track these things each week and go through you know every week for him. But this was a return to form of what we had been seeing all season. From a from a mental processing, from a decision making standpoint, from the nuance that you mentioned, that pump fake right there opens this whole thing up. Because I remember watching that play and I was watching it live and I'm going, what the hell is Levi Wallace looking at? Well, he's looking at the slight pump fake from Wentz and he's breaking on that and that opens everything up. So good find on that one. I didn't even notice the slight pump fake when I went through the when I went through the film. So that's something I will be putting up on Twitter. Thank you. Good, sir. Of course, that's what I'm here for. But that's
1: a prime example of just how razor thin the margin for success and failure is in this National Football League. And, you know, you hear all the time the quote from Pacino, the inspirational speech. Football, it's a game of inches. The inches we need are all around us. He just barely moves the ball. And Wallace takes one step. That's it. Mm. If Wentz doesn't make that fake or if Wentz makes the fake and Wallace doesn't take the step, if neither of those things happen – this might be an incompletion or worse, mm. but instead it's a huge game. And what it happens on the end of that drive? Well, they punch it in for a touchdown. Mm-hmm.
0: Good find there, Mark. Let, let's talk about real quickly before we go here, maybe what you want to see from when just maybe a continuation really of this, but against this tough Bears defense that can tend to give quarterbacks problems. But lately, and we'll talk about this on the Kiss and Solak show, has not been generating a pass rush. And the only way they've been able to do it is with the Blitz, and that includes with Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack only has 7 total pressures in the last 3 weeks. What what do you what do you expect from Wentz against this tough Bears defense?
1: Well, like you said, it's it's a Bears defense that on paper and you know, on talent-wise looks to be able to generate pressure and to give you problems, but the, they haven't been doing it recently. And as you said, look, they've had to sort of resort to the blitz, but What has that usually meant for Carson Wentz when you're forced to blitz him? Traditionally, he's been very good against pressure. He's been very good against blitzers because – like we've seen here, there are moments when he's able to accelerate that process speed. You you mentioned that screenplay where it got blown up and he had to sort of create a little bit and he follows his blockers. He can beat you with his legs. He can extend plays with his athletic ability, with his strength in the pocket. And so, if Chicago's forced to bring pressure and to play man coverage, there are two things that are going to happen. Once he's going to have that ability to beat the blitz with his legs and his athleticism, and there will also be opportunities to create downfield throws in one-on-one situations when you can rely on either guys winning one-on-ones which these receivers can do from time to time or some scheme shots like we just saw in this vertical route to Alshon and so if they are forced to blitz Carson Wentz I think a that's going to be great and the Wentz, the Philadelphia Eagles offense is going to put up points, and they're going to have success as a result and b if they just do screw up they have to give the ball back to who Mitchell Trubisky
0: yeah Ooh, there you go yeah and, and I think they can do a lot of different things that they can take from this game and apply it to the next game against the Bears, right. because when you look at what teams are doing against Khalil Mack, and, and all credit to New Orleans Saints tackles, for instance, Ryan Ramchek, Teron Armstead playing high-level ball, and they did great against Mack when they were asked to block him one-on-one. But what the Saints also did was, you know, they 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 chipped and they they forced his his pass rushing arc to be different because of the alignment. The Eagles can take in this 12 personnel, this YY yep. wing, put it on Mac's side, and that'll slow his pass rush down. They can use the under center play action, they can use the screen game to slow down that rush. They can do a lot of different things to frustrate and scheme around Mac, a guy that they're familiar with from last year. We had some success with some pressures, but cut a lot of heat from their fan base for not getting in the box score in a meaningful way. So I really am confident about what this Eagles offense can do to a Bears defense that doesn't look near what it was last year, despite still being pretty good. I think they're definitely missing the absence of Akeem Hicks, but now we're getting into a whole Bears defensive preview. I won't put all that on you, Mark. I do want to thank you for coming on with me today for this monumental podcast. I mean, just... The work and effort that we put in with the takes on the timeline, just just a, a colossal effort. And I feel really uh, – it's a really rewarding experience and and I'm hoping that we are rewarded with what will be another typical Mitch Trubisky performance on Sunday, brother.
1: I can only imagine what your timeline will be like. <laughs> what is this a one or is it a four kick? Is it a one or a four? I think it's a one. Yeah, At Like 345 <laughs> Sunday afternoon, what your timeline is going to be like. It is going to be must-watch tweeted. I'll just say that.
0: If 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 Trubisky throws for 303 touchdowns, I'm just going to –
1: Is it a delete-the-count situation?
0: I don't think it's a delete-the-account situation because understand the Eagles' defense is just awful. They are bad, and it depends on how those yards come, those touchdowns comes. Because if it's all on screens so like Cordero Patterson, I don't care. Like, right. it's, this Eagles defense stinks at tackling, they stink at coverage. Yeah, you're probably going to get some opportunities against them. But if it's I, – I, I can't see any scenario where it's Mitchell Trubisky making, like, five or six 20-plus yard throws in a meaningful way, in meaningful let situations. Me th-
1: let me throw this scenario out there then. Okay. Eagles are up at half. Come out for the third quarter. <laughs> And Chase Daniels comes on to the Chase Daniel comes on to the field. Then I'm concerned. Then
0: I'm concerned. Like, do you remember when? <laughs> like, honestly, do you remember the 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 Bills Patriots game where uh, Josh Allen was? Josh Allen goes down. Barkley comes in, and suddenly it's like they're moving the ball. Yeah, because the ball's yeah. getting out. Guys are open yep. because the ball's getting out. Same situation. I think Daniels can run this offense more effective, more
1: effectively on at least a, a low level, consistent basis. The competency. The, the, the Chase Daniel game, the piece I wrote over at PFW that week was, now we're seeing the beauty of Matt Mack's <laughs> offense. And I thought that that was a pretty interesting way of putting that piece together. I'm just going to say that. Mark,
0: Whatever. that's beautiful. I love that. All right.
1: We're good human beings. We're great human uh, beings. I swear.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're definitely definitely not rooting for the failure of of others no their- not
1: at all not us
0: <laughs> i mean the guy's a millionaire who cares all right yeah, exactly mark say goodbye to the gentle listeners
1: goodbye to the gentle listeners
0: and we are out of here we're done that's it that's the show